Welcome to the Brains Magazine podcast, a podcast with in-depth interviews and conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, expert coaches, industry leaders, and international celebrities. Get exclusive insight into the world of business, mindset, leadership, and lifestyle with your host, Mark Sefton. want to welcome you to the next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast. And today we have Ben Doc Askins, psychedelic science war storyteller. How are you, Ben? I'm doing wonderful. It's a pleasure to see you, Mark. You too. Now, I've got to, I've got to ask, um, without coming across as dumb here, but what is a psychedelic science war storyteller? That's an excellent question to start off with, because so far, I'm the only one that I've met. I imagine there are others out there, but uh, I would be the only psychedelic science war storyteller. And it might take a little storytelling to try to articulate what I mean by that. But if you'll bear with me, I'll give it a shot. Is that okay? Absolutely. I think it's so important, you know, when we when we come across like characters and personalities and people that are creating if there isn't if there isn't already a, f- a front runner then i think yeah it's it's on you to kind of say this is what it is who, who else out there is a psychedelic science war storyteller you're the first of its kind <laughs> yeah it's uh and it's a lot of fun so here's how i'll i'll try to explain it bottom line upfront style uh i'm all my name's ben askins uh but all my favorite people call me doc which is confusing because I'm not a doctor and I don't have a terminal degree. Uh, I spent 10 years as a combat medic, including a deployment to Iraq. And that was when I earned the nickname doc, which is what everybody calls the medics that they love. So I, you know, finished 10 years enlisted as a staff sergeant and a combat medic used my GI bill to get a master of divinity degree But to be honest, I was always a much better soldier than I was a preacher. So I was pretty excited when Uncle Sam decided to send me to the inter-service physician assistant program so that I could go through and and earn the opportunity to have a medical license. So I do have a medical license, but as a physician assistant, not a physician. So I'm still not a doctor, but everybody calls me doc. Uh, I got all the way done with the physician assistant program in the military in 2020. And about 10 minutes later, there was a global pandemic and the planet shut down. And I went straight into a civilian job working in psychiatry, in mental health, and had the opportunity to provide hundreds of hours of ketamine-assisted psychotherapy to some of the most severely depressed and acutely suicidal people in the area where I was working. So at a time when a hospitalization could have meant a death sentence. I was given the opportunity to give a a small number of people some hope and help see them through the pandemic. So we got to the other side of the pandemic and I got called up again to deploy to Europe last year with an infantry battalion as their battalion medical officer. And so I went over to uh, Kosovo and served there for about six months out of last year working with combat medics and infantry soldiers on the K-4 mission over there. And after returning home about three months later, I went and received certificate training from the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies in 
what's called MDMA-assisted therapy for post-traumatic stress disorder, which is a, another confusing, unique sort of thing because MDMA isn't legal in the United States at this point. It's a Schedule One medication, but they're looking at potentially rescheduling it next year so that this particular therapy can be implemented. So I have a certificate in a barely illegal form of therapy that involves psychedelics and that involved a great deal of psychedelic science. So I have experience providing ketamine assisted therapy and I have training to provide MDMA assisted therapy. And then I have a lot of friends in and networking in that area. So I do this psychedelic science piece uh, where I'm a clinician and I understand how to provide those therapies. And then I just love to hear and to share stories. And I think of war stories as, you know, there's the literal war stories of my time as a veteran, you know, in Iraq and in Europe. But it's also this metaphorical category, right, where everybody talks about their best stories as being their war stories from whatever it might be, the corporate world, the athletic world, uh, the business world, you know, hobbies, whatever your best, you know, golf story could be a war story. So the niche that I enjoy kind of being in now is this uh, brand that I'm launching called the anti-hero's journey, where I've written a book of psychedelic science war stories, and I'm launching a podcast where I just like to hear other people's war stories, particularly in just the the places that I'm interested. So that would be the the long and the short of what I'm calling a psychedelic science war storyteller. Well, I'm glad I asked because there was a way there was a lot more under the bonnet than what I than I kind of what I gleaned. Some of what I gleaned was definitely there, but there was a lot there was a lot to it. But there was a lot in there that kind of like resonated. One was just the fact if if we just think of your your name that you've been dubbed uh, Doc. Uh, it's really interesting. I think it's uh, Robin Sharma. He's got a book, Lead Without a Title. Um, I think it's him. And um, I would much rather be called Doc for all the reasons you said, because of the fact that people identify with you, uh, than to have it because, you know, you've studied your ass off, but you're unrelatable and you, you're not able to have that that human connection, right? So, I mean, that must feel pretty good to, to be called Doc, because I think that really kind of shines a light as to what your purpose is. Yeah, I I question the, you know, the labels and the names and the titles that we all carry uh, are all still somewhat superficial. Like it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. There's a degree to which even like I I'll mention early on in my book that I even consider my own name to be sort of a pseudonym to begin with, right? Cuz mm -hmm. you just can't capture the essence of what a person is with just a degree title or a name or a, a job or even a, you know, a, a resume as impressive as some of them might be, you know, your, your birth certificate, as soon as they put that name on there, it's really just a pseudonym compared with who you even are at uh, that early stage of development. So putting a label like doc on, it's a fun one to me. I feel like I earned it the hard way to some degree, you know, when people scream for doc, it's usually in a an extreme situation, and uh, I've had the opportunity to respond to those calls for help along the way. And I think it's one of my favorite nicknames. But there's plenty of other things that uh, you know people could call me that I would answer to. That's not a problem. If you just make <laughs> eye contact and you make a noise with that hole under your nose, I'll listen. I'll pay attention. You know, it's it's all just word games to me at this point. Huh. I think it is. Um... 
a wonderful uh, kind of story as well as it being very rewarding, you know, for you to be able to to have that name. And the fact that, you know, if people keep calling you, it's clear because you're dependable, reliable, which obviously is the heartbeat of anything that has its weight in gold. It needs to be consistent. It reminds me that, you know, our gifting makes room for us because I, I am going to ask you uh, about the fact that, you know, you've had such a varied career and you've got a degree in like um, outdoor education, as well as, as you said, being a psychiatric assistant it's it's like you've got such a, a varied but it seems like you have taken opportunities and you've stepped into them whether it's serving in Kosovo uh, and obviously when COVID happened it knocked us all around but it's interesting how even then it still created an opportunity for you yeah I think I've been fortunate to have had many opportunities brought to me that many other people never have the privilege to get. And then when I've gotten some of those opportunities, I've made the most of many of them. I've certainly fouled up plenty of them along the way as well, but I've always been sort of a lean forward, let's keep going, you know, let's not stop sort of a, a person for as long as I can remember, you know, uh, Heidegger has this concept of being thrown, of thrownness. He calls it Dasein in his philosophy. And I always just kind of felt like I was a scuffed up fastball that got thrown into the planet. And I've just been kind of riding the ride ever since, just white knuckling through this thing. Um, yeah. I mean, you talked about storytelling as well. I loved how you framed the fact that when you elaborated on on the war stories, I, I found that that was definitely more under under the bonnet there because obviously for me I was taking it very much more literally but actually you, you were really relating it to to everybody's like environment of where we've had struggle we've had opposition we've had loss uh and drawing that out I think is is a is a beautiful thing to do it reminded me a little bit of uh you know the film Hacksaw Ridge where that that guy's a, a medic is that a film that you've uh come across and kind of seen yourself in Oh yeah, uh, Desmond Doss, the yeah. Congressional Medal of Honor winner. Yeah, it's a it's an amazing movie. I actually just finished reading his uh, biography. I got it out of the library and just read it. So it's interesting that you you mentioned that. It's uh, there's this contrast, right? I I wrote a book and I have a brand that I call Anti Heroes Journey, which is something to to try to unpack. You know, Desmond Doss is a, a hero. He was a conscientious objector in a time when that was a very controversial way of being. He was a Seventh-day Adventist, and he said, I won't carry a rifle, I won't kill anyone, but I'll be a medic, and I'll support all of the guys. I'm patriotic. I love my country. I'll support all the people who are going into harm's way. And he was persecuted pretty significantly in the military as a part of that. Uh, just the, the culture and the ethos of the time was we're going to war. A lot of people are going to die and you're not willing to fight. So there's something wrong with you. And he was, he stuck by his guns and he absolutely refused to do anything that would offend his conscience. And then you know, when the brown stuff hit the twirly thing and they got downrange and there was a whole lot of danger, it turned out that the kind of person that had the steel in their backbone necessary to say, I absolutely won't do anything that would hurt my conscience, is also the kind of person who will over and over and over again relentlessly put their life on the line if they're in that medical role. 
So I look at Desmond Doss as a hero to some degree, but I also question uh, the concept of heroes in the first place, which is why I'm, you know, I'm putting this thing out here as, as the anti-hero's journey, because, you know, you mentioned the, some of the accomplishments that I've had and that I seem like a good person, but I don't think some of those dualistic categories are as helpful for us in this particular period of development as people as as they maybe used to have been you know like the idea of heroes versus villains is kind of oversimplified like depending on the day of the week that you look at me and what I've been doing I might look like a hero to you or I might look like a villain to you it just kind of depends on the day that you know you catch me right so life's a bit more complex and complicated than how we've been taught to perceive it in terms of heroes and villains and victims and bystanders and all of those things are are oversimplifications and my perspective on a lot of that at this point is that we're all anti-heroes which is a lot more complex uh way of being in the world that we're both and we're neither at the same time yeah I'm going to ask you about 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 your your book, uh, Anti Hero's Journey, in a in a moment. It made me laugh though. I don't know whether it was just your dry sense of humor because you kind of went right over that, but it tickled me when you said that he stuck to his guns, right? Because that's actually really quite funny, isn't it? <laughs> right, fact, he exactly. You wouldn't pick yeah, the, up the gun. <laughs> yeah, picking up on the ironies in life and the way that we tell the stories is just like it's the most delicious thing in the world. Like if if you can catch just a little turn of phrase where somebody has like this superficial contradiction in the language that they're using. There's like a resonance at a deeper level of, Hey, there's more going on here than, than what we're initially paying attention to. There's this um, in the theological traditions, they'll call it the noetic effect of sin. It's the way that uh, we deceive ourselves about reality. The way that we perceive things has these ironies just embedded in them. And it's so fun. I call it the poetic effect of sin is paying attention to those ironies because those are hot spots. Those are places where you uh, are putting out into the world that's something that may be contradicting the, the heart of what you mean to say, right? So Desmond Doss stuck to his guns and refused to pick up a gun. Right. And that tells you a great deal about his story in a nutshell. It condenses condenses down the truth of his story in a way that's fun to hear about. But it's a real serious story. Right. It's life and death all the way through. And that's the way I think we have to kind of integrate everything everywhere all at once, if we can, is through some of those ways of recognizing what's serious and what's not and taking things as seriously as we need to but also being able to maintain humor and to laugh through some of the most serious things is the way that we survive them yeah it was very funny um so your book came out in may uh it's called the anti-hero journey what would you say is the premise and fundamentally why did you write it i mean you talked about how anti-heroes is both and nothing in terms of being a hero but what 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 is the the main premise and, and what can people expect uh you know to to pick up from it yeah that's the million dollar question it's a genuinely loaded question that i've tried to think of a good answer for and to be honest i lived the book and i wrote the book 
but I still don't fully understand the book myself. So if you want to take a look at it, Mark, or some of the other people out there want to listen to it and give me some feedback on it and help me understand what the hell's going on with this book, I'd appreciate it. The way that I try to explain it to people is that it's a bit of armchair philosophy and then just some of my own psychedelic science war stories. But there's a lot more going on with it than that. If I if I could tell you the backstory a little bit. Um, I'm 42 years old, and that's a lot of fun to me because of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy saying, you know, that 42 is the meaning of existence and nobody understands why. But at least for one year of my life, I lived long enough that I get to say, I am 42, whatever that means. But about two weeks after my 42nd birthday, I just couldn't sleep for two weeks straight. Every night I'd go to bed and I'd have these ideas. And it was mostly about my own life story. And then just some of the, you know, my own philosophy that I've cobbled together over the years, but I couldn't sleep until I put the ideas out of my head and down onto paper. I'd, I'd go downstairs. I'd sit in the chair I'm sitting in right now for this interview. I pound out these ideas uh, into a document. And then I'd get tired and I'd go to sleep. And for two weeks straight, every night, I'd have these ideas and I'd need to just kind of word vomit. And then I could sleep. And at the end of the two weeks, I had this rough draft of a book completed. Uh, the Anti-Hero's Journey is that the Zero with a Thousand Faces is that book. And you know how you can be kind of your own biggest critic uh, where, you know, like you write something and you read it and you're like, this is absolute trash. I don't even know why I'm alive. And then <laughs> you, you can you can look at it and be like you're, you're so biased in favor of, you know, this is the most amazing thing that I've ever done. Everyone needs to read this. It's so great. And I didn't have either of those feelings. I just kind of felt like this might be good enough. This might be a good enough piece of work to put out into the world. And then I shared that with sort of an inner circle of friends that I trust. They're the kind of people that won't just point out to you when you've made a mistake, but will make a joke out of it, right? Like, hey, you know, it's not just, hey, man, your fly's down. You got to fix that. It's, hey, everybody, Ben's fly's down, you know, like that's the, the group of people that that I could trust to let me know if this was absolute garbage. And they were saying, yeah, I think this is pretty decent. This is This is good. We like this, you know. So I just looked into publishing it. I, you know, I edited it in March. I worked with some people to make some cover art and figure out how you publish things in April and just launched it out into the world in May. So at one level, it only took me two weeks of insomnia to write this book. And at another level, it feels like it took 42 years to put it out there because it is just a condensed version of everything that I think and feel and have experienced uh, trying to, to put it out there that way to answer uh the other part of the question around the you know the hero's journey versus the anti-hero's journey is some of the premise you asked about the premise there and you know joseph campbell is this famous um polymath from the 20th century who was just an expert on world cultures and mythologies and a, a scholar of comparative literature that wrote the hero with a thousand faces, this 500 page book looking at this pattern uh, of storytelling that goes on in the world at this point where you can see four basic stages to the hero's journey, the call, the separation, the initiation and the return. And it's in every good 
children's story out there star wars and the lord of the rings and all the marvel universe character story narrative arcs kind of match this cycle and it's brilliant but i don't think it matches uh actual reality so that's why i'm putting out there the the anti-hero's journey as this this contrast to it campbell real succinctly summarized the pattern of hero as a hero ventures forth from the world of common day into a region of supernatural wonder. Fabulous forces are encountered and a decisive victory is won. The hero comes back from this mysterious adventure with the power to bestow boons on his fellow man. Alternatively, I'm proposing to the hero's journey, the mono myth, the hero with a thousand faces, I'm proposing that we adopt the anti-hero's journey, the zero myth, the zero with a thousand faces that could be summarized as a zero ventures further than a hero beyond the illusions of supernatural wonder, beyond fabulous forces, beyond decisive victory, never returning from a mysterious adventure, unknowing everything untrue. There are no powers, no boons, no fellow man. The zero has nothing, gives nothing, takes nothing, is nothing. The hero is all illusion. All reality is zero. Interesting. Like it. You're getting people to think. Um, I'm getting them things... to feel too, so it would appear. That's good. That is good. Because, uh, yeah, feel... Thoughts always produce feelings. A um, couple of things that I, I wanted to just reflect back on, like when I asked you, like, and you, you very humbly and intriguingly said that you didn't really understand, like, your book too, which I thought in some ways quite clever as well as humorous, but also very humbling. Um, obviously, it's called the anti-hero's journey. It's not called the anti-hero's destination. So I think some of the understanding is obviously of the fact that, you know, we're all on a journey. And so what we believe is true now in a year when we have new revelation, new knowledge, then actually uh, we may change or evolve our thought behind, you know, the truth. Um, so there was that. And there's also that sense of some, sometimes our knowing isn't an intellectual. So I, I've, I think it's really interesting, isn't it? How often, we may not understand fully what we've just shared or said, but it comes innately or intuitively, but it's because it bypasses the brain and it, and it actually is interacting from a different level. Right. Yeah. To some degree at this point, we've been trained, especially in the Western world to divide everything up, divide things into thoughts and feelings, mm. cognition and emotion uh, you know, just parsing out things down to the molecular level. Like, can we get to the the essence of the essence of the essence of what's going on here by just pulling things apart like a little kid over and over and over again? And I think there has to be this dynamic balance between pulling things apart and putting things back together. Uh, you know, disintegrating and integrating is the way that uh, a lot of knowledge is gained or is gleaned. We and it's really easy to kind of fall off the horse on one side or the other and just get very focused on pulling things apart or get very focused on trying to see the big picture and putting all the things together. Um, so I think you're on the right track in that regard. And we're kind of 
vibing a little bit, right? You're saying, I said some words and that goes into your ears, but it's not as simple as just, I said some words and they go into your ears. There's a lot more going on there. There's, you know, it's vibrational, right? Your whole body's involved in this. My whole body's involved in this. We could parse it down all the way to like what, you know, neurons are involved in the auditory cortex in the process of making these sounds into thoughts inside of your head and all of the medical magical mystery that's going on with some of that stuff we could parse it all the way down to there and then we could also recognize that the larger context involves you being in the united kingdom me being in the united states us connecting through some weird thing called the internet to have this conversation in the first place so that this conversation is actually going to outer space first and then coming all the way back down and it's all happening in real time and Mark, we just live in a simulation, man. Like the whole thing is just, it's a sham. It's, <laughs> it's not that reality isn't real or doesn't exist. It's that nothing in reality is what it appears to be is kind of what I drive at with some of this stuff. I love that. I think you have a bit of fun, don't you? Uh, kind of playing with people, but in, in, a, in a good way, not in a, not in a, um, a dangerous or an ethical way. There's, there's some enjoyment there. <laughs> but I hear just a little bit of fear there. Like you're a little bit worried. You're a little <laughs> bit scared. Like, oh, he's having fun with it and that's okay. But this could go dark real fast, couldn't it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. My, the way that I try to summarize and condense some of this stuff down is that my life mission is to embody all of life's paradoxes in a way that overcomes fear with love. But you got to acknowledge that we have fear circuits in our brain, like it's hardwired in there. And they have a, a purpose and they have a role to play. They keep us alive in really crazy situations like the, you know, freeze, fight, flight, you know, sympathetic nervous system response to a combat situation. Uh, you know, you need that in order to survive. But it's also something that is easily short circuited and you don't need to live out of fear circuitry all of the time and the way that i've found for myself to to integrate the fear circuitry in a way that's not you know running haywire so that i'm constantly suspicious and looking at everybody's hands and making sure everybody in the room isn't carrying a weapon or whatever is to pay the same level of attention to everyone that i might in like a personal security detail situation where i'm trying to protect you know uh, a valuable principle like was some of our, our mission in Iraq, I'm paying the same level of attention to everyone around me, but with a loving orientation rather than a fearful orientation. Mm -hmm. And I've found that to be a way of being in the world that's really enjoyable and really satisfying. And it gives me the opportunity to have a lot of fun, but also to help a lot of people. Most of us are kind of turned inward at this point. We're very focused on our own hero's journey we're all trying to figure out like i'm on this journey and what's next on the list of my to-do list and what oh man like there's that guy over there and he looks hungry and beat up and dirty on the side of the road like the parable of the good samaritan or something and everybody keeps cruising on by because they're on their own hero's journey and everybody has a good reason for being who they are and for being distracted and for being uh who they are but if you pick your head up and you're able to pay attention a little bit more to the network and to the environment that you're in, you can do an awful lot of good if you just kind of let go of that hero's journey story and come on over here and join me on the dark side on the anti-hero's journey, which actually winds up 
looking a little dark from a hero's perspective sometimes, but it's a whole lot of light and it's a whole lot of fun once you get here. Yeah, I can I can understand I can understand what you're what you're getting at. I mean, like I said, I know that there's the, the serious element to it, but I mean, you've certainly got me s- smiling, Ben, and and the book sounds <laughs> sounds really interesting and, and sounds like very different because I mean, there's so many books out there, so we kind of like the idea of you know tapping into something different, and obviously everybody loves like Marvel and and loves the hero stuff. Having having the other side of the coin, I think it then becomes uh, more relatable. But I think it's good to kind of like have, uh, as you said, the paradox and the contrast. Because I, I mean, I love contrast anyway, in terms of what one thing looks from one side and how it looks from from the other. And I, I mean, fundamentally, like what you were just saying there about, you know, you're just really encouraging people to to kind of put put their head up and, and, and not just be self-absorbed and self uh, obsessed in in some ways and, and obviously that all comes down to you know mental health and we talk a lot about our own mental health which we all have a responsibility for but what would be as we bring this into land what would be like maybe one thing that we could do uh to help the mental health of others is is there is maybe one thing that we need to be doing and one thing that we need to stop doing to cause such a uh, challenge for others yeah, one thing to stop, I, I'm going to do two sides of the same coin. One thing to stop doing would be to stop taking so seriously everything that you're taking so seriously. And I'm talking about life and death stuff here, politics and family and cancer diagnoses and war. It's all very serious, but you're taking it too seriously, whatever it is. The other side of that coin is, being able to laugh about the things that you're taking so seriously is the way that you'll be able to carry those things and have a greater effect on the things that you're taking seriously than you would if you were uh, angry about it or sad about it. And it's okay to feel all of the emotions that you feel all the way through to the other side of those emotions. The, The way that I'll describe it is you need to laugh until you cry or you need to cry until you laugh. Don't get caught in a place where you're only crying or you're only laughing because if you get stuck there, you're missing out on the entire range of human experience. So I think that, you know, humor is a way that can carry us through some of the, the darkest periods of our lives and allows us to sort of buckle up and, and, roll the rock all the way up the hill so that we can accomplish the things that we need to accomplish there. Mm. Yeah. There's two things that really have stood out today in, in this conversation with you, Ben, which has been really uh, enlightening. The one is the fact I really feel like you're giving people permission. Uh, that really comes across like there is no like necessarily right or wrong or the right way to go about things. And there's just a real freedom and you just uh, allowing whatever it is to, to be. So I, I really love that. Uh, and then, you know, something in psychology, which you obviously would be uh, very attuned to, is is this whole thought process of, of what if, you know, so sometimes we, we very much kind of are limiting ourselves, but then when we throw in the question of what if I'm taking this the wrong way or what if it isn't the way I, I fear it may, yeah, it's uh, 
I think we can agree that most of our experience is either memory or imagination or some combination of the two. And what I want to try to help people to do is engage their imaginations in ways that opens up new possibilities to them for understanding their own memories so that they're integrating their own stories in a new way. And then they can carry that story forward and write the story and not just read it and do that in a way that promotes flourishing in people. Mm. And I do think that that is best summarized in, you know, pop culture sorts of ways in this like anti-heroes concept that integrates the fact that we're all both good and bad and somehow also more than just good or bad at the mm. same time. You know, I'm a big fan. I like to joke around on my website that I'm a Deadpool wannabe because I think he's like the ultimate anti-hero out there, right? Everybody's so exhausted with superhero movies at this point, but then there's this guy who's like the merc with a mouth, this assassin that still somehow cares about, you know, children in the storylines and takes care of people, but it's all confusing and complicated and complex and it's not that simple. So I've I've come up with this like little character for my brand that I call Medpool, who's this medic with a mouth, you know, like maybe, and maybe I'm telling some stories about myself too much here at this point or whatever, but like, I think it'd be pretty fun to have this alternate universe where there's this anti-hero version of Deadpool. They have evil Deadpool in the comics, right? But they don't have like a quote unquote good Deadpool. And that's what I would throw out there uh, as a suggestion to all the you know Marvel fanatics out there is we need we need more anti-heroes. We need more complex stories and not simplistic good bad, <laughs> you know, evil versus good, woo woo, you know. We need we need people who are embodying all of that evil and all of that good. And those are the sorts of stories that I think will carry us as a species to the next level of development where maybe we can get off of each other's necks and be kind to each other, give each other room to breathe and actually allow each other to imagine a world where uh, we can all be whole, we can all be healthy. Amazing. So Ben, how do people find out more about you and, and your work? Yeah, the easiest way is just to go to my website, antiheroesjourney.com. But I'm on all of the social media platforms you could possibly imagine just doing my silly song and dance. I love memes and I'm just throwing memes out there. And I love nerdy science stuff. So I throw journal articles out there too. And I'm on, you know, TikTok and YouTube and Facebook and threads and Twitter now, I guess it's called X, whatever that means um and instagram and so you can find me all over the place linkedin uh whatever all the social media platforms i'm i'm just having some fun out there but if you want to get a copy of my book you can go to antiheroesjourney.com and download the digital copy it should be next week that we'll have the spanish translation available on the website as well the audiobook just dropped yesterday on the website. You can download that there too. And then if you want a paperback copy to use uh, to like prop up a wobbly table leg or chair or something like that, you can get that on amazon.com. But the link there is on my website as well. Amazing, Ben. That sounds fantastic. I appreciate so much this conversation. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Mark. Cheers. Thank you for joining this episode with me, Max Sefton. I hope you've really enjoyed it. Feel free to leave us a positive review on iTunes. And I look forward to welcoming you back to the next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast.